Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Tom is experiencing some uh, weather problems, uh, as will happen in Nashville, but I'm here, uh, luckily, with Alan and uh, Herb Kagan, um, who we're happy to have. I just saw him over the holiday, and we got into some deep talk about uh, recovery in his uh, new and extremely excellent car. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just thought I'd give Alan uh, a chance to check in with you guys. How's it going, Alan? Well, good, good. Yeah, listen, let's put our thoughts to Tom. He's right in that blizzard in the you know, in the Northeast, I mean, it's really, really bad. And a lot of places are being snowed in. And so, Tom, you're, we're going to send you some nice warm thoughts. Our, our, you know, you're away from us. Yeah, there you go, man. Um, and it's great to have you here tonight, Herb. It's always wonderful to share the, the mic with you and some time with you on the air. And, you know, we were talking before we came on the show about, you know, what topic do we take tonight? Do we take on this No One's Coming, which we're doing on Thursday nights? But look, you've got a workshop coming up on our way of life, you know, steps 10, 11 and 12. And, you know, let's let's talk about our way of life. And, and, and obviously, you know, you're referring to our way of life and according to the big book. But that also is very relevant to the emotional sobriety stuff we've been doing. Well, it's going to be the centerpiece of at least my focus when we come together in London for the Berlin Group uh, gathering of people to talk about emotional sobriety. I see steps 10, 11, and 12, quite frankly, in a totally new perspective as the result, Alan, of your introducing to me the whole concept of emotional sobriety using the springboard of Bill's letter. And uh, we've been unpacking it. I, I'm confident it's more than 10 years, but I don't know how long it's been. And Maybe 20, I'll tell I you. I was going to say. I think it's closer to 20, I think. Yeah, yeah. Bill called, Bill Wilson called it the next frontier back in 1956. And uh, Ernie Larson called it stage two recovery in 1985. And they were both right, but it didn't catch traction. And somehow you caught fire in around the turn of the century, 2000, and uh, fortunately connected with me as a partner in co-facilitating these workshops. And now with my focus in my weekly workshops, I take a group of people through the steps over a year period, and it's I, I've really come to a bullseye pinpoint focus of 10, 11, and 12. Uh, it is our Bill calls it our way of living. That's the verb. Uh, there's a phrase in there, our way of life. That's the noun. And we unpack steps 10, 11, and 12 as the tools. And you could call them whatever you want. Uh, we call them the tools of emotional sobriety. Uh, we wake up steps one through nine. You made the distinction in part of our workshops together when we were co-facilitating on individual Saturday kind of workshops of the difference between the program of recovery, steps one through nine, and the program of living, steps 10, 11, and 12. And that caught a lot of traction with me. So uh, that's where I see Bill talking about Bill Wilson in the, the author of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, that uh, it's our way of living. We're not cured. He's not referring to addiction. That's the 
misunderstanding for a lot of people. They think unmanageability and addiction are connected. They're not. That's why the dash is there. I was listening to a speaker and he said, that dash is not an and. That dash is take a breath. Here's a new thought. We're powerless over unmanageability. And that without explaining it, Bill says on pages 84 and 85, we enter the world of the spirit. All right. We are delivered. He uses that word in one of his talks. He was delivered from his addiction, that combination of willingness and grace. But and, and, not but, and placed in a position of neutrality with regard to his addiction, recovered. Anybody who's listening, check out that title page on in the big book, the second page. How many thousands of men and women have recovered? And I'm co correlating that with neutrality, meaning we are not attracted to our addiction. We are not resisting our, it's just irrelevant. What a gift, what a grace, literally a gift that I don't earn. And yet there's something about the preconditions of applying and, and, and working steps one through nine in order to precipitate it, if you will. But then he warns us, we're not cured. But he doesn't tell us of what. My conclusion in the context, we're not, we're not cured of unmanageability. We have a daily reprieve from unmanageability. Check page 62. This is for the, the audience that might be listening and care. On page 62, the end of the second paragraph, he said, selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of the problem, but we can't even wish it away by willing or trying on our own power. We need, we need a power other than ourselves. There's the mystery. There's the solution. But there's the invitation, and there's the mystery. I don't claim to explain it. I claim to observe it, not only from my knowledge, but from my experience. I can look back over my shoulder, and I cannot explain being here from there. 39 plus years later, I so much want to say 40, but I can't until February. <laughs> but when I look back over my shoulder, I can't explain it. I can observe it, and I can be grateful for it and humbled for the gift I worked hard, but the outcome is disproportionate to the uh, uh, to that uh, contribution that I've made, and that's where I say grace and willingness is that alchemical combination. Now you press my button and I go, and I'm going to pause for just a minute. I don't know whether I addressed even your comments, Alan, but that's oh no no see that's that's definitely the direction I mean that we're taking because the. You know, inherent in those steps, it's really capturing the essence of living a well-lived life. I mean, look, first of all, an incredible amount of accountability, and not just to others, but to ourselves. I mean, that's that's one of the insights I had. That step 10 is about me keeping my integrity as well as being able to be trustworthy again in relationships. But, you know, and then 11 comes into and, you know, you've, you've really highlighted the importance of, of prayer and meditation and how powerful those two are when they're put together in the right way. And, and that's, you know, I, the way I look at step 11 myself, in addition to that, is just an expansion of our consciousness. You know, if we're going to continue to grow in this lifetime and develop some wisdom, we've got to continue that journey of expanding our consciousness, continuing to learn. I mean, look, if if somebody was to have sat in our first emotional sobriety workshop 
and they sat in our discussions today, like let's say they showed up in London and they hadn't seen us for 20 years, they would be they they would be astonished. Well, it, no, they would yeah. think there's two different presenters. Well, they think, yeah, they, they, <laughs> they would, because that's how much we've evolved. That's I mean, right. the way that we're able to talk about this today, right. such a level of, 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 you know, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but there's a certain wisdom, sophistication, nuance that we've... Those are the words that were absolutely in my mind, nuance and sophistication. That is correct, not to uh, not to embellish it, but to attempt to acknowledge it. Yeah, I mean, it's just been unbelievable. You and I just keep churning that butter, man, and we keep, <laughs> we keep churning it and churning it, and it continues to yield a lot of things like when we've expanded it into self-esteem that's right how self-esteem relates to it how we've applied differentiation to the model yeah. how you've brought in spirituality and integrated it i i mean it's just it's been a phenomenal journey in terms of what's going on look and the good news is is this may be the next frontier now in the in the field i mean yeah. This yeah. may be the next wave because, you know, look, this last month, um, yes, fine article published out the first grapevine that was completely devoted to emotional sobriety. Now, mm -hmm. I'm going to invite you back because we're going to take some of those stories and read them and look at how they talked about them. And then you and I will talk about them because oh, I, think it, I think it would be fun to to look at some of the way that it's being think about the thought about it at this point, because they're still back to me in a very very new phase of this in the terms of the program people are starting to get it but it's just now emerging into consciousness look the berlin group is caught on fire because of what we've done i mean that's been an amazing experience it's culminating in this big conference in may that we're going to be going over mm -hmm. and speaking at yeah, so, you know, it's exciting, man. It's been an exciting journey. I mean, well, and the part about the London, uh, if, if people are listening and care about uh, what the work we do, it's going to be captured in a wonderful way in London. We'll be doing three days, half day seminars every morning, three days in a row that will be recorded and also on Zoom. So not only can you participate physically, or if you can't do that, you can participate technology-wise, or if you can't do that, it will be recorded and edited and then available. So it's going to be a treasure trove, our work as well as the other people's work that are going to be uh, included in the three-day conference. It's going to be a real treasure trove of people's knowledge and experience and interpretation of emotional sobriety. Yeah, no, I, I'm very excited about the trip and I'm excited about spending the time with you over there. And and Patrick, you're thinking about making a trip over, aren't you? I will be. I'm registered and uh, I still need oh, to, you're... you know, figure out where I'm staying and all, but I'll be there uh, at the workshop. And, um, you know, I while you were talking about um, 10, 11 and 12, Herb, I was thinking about the conversation we had over the holidays and then uh, earlier when we were waiting for Alan to sign on. Um, and you, uh, I forget the specific word you used, but you were talking, you've been concerned a lot lately with attaining an essence in the way that you manage your time and in the, uh, the work that you do and in the, you know, the social time and the company you keep and the way you run your life. That's just, um, as mindful as possible, or maybe more mindful, um, than it has been in the years past. I really believe that you're somebody who practices what you preach and, 
when you talk about a focus on steps 10, 11, and 12, I believe that like you're trying to bring yourself to those steps more so uh, maybe than you ever have. And I just wanted to know what that looked like in your daily practice or how you're showing up for those steps um, in the day-to-day -day, uh, at in this uh, season of your life. Well, you're really listening and you're really intuiting the underbelly of what I'm doing. I came across probably when I retired, a line in the 12 and 12, I think it was in the, one of the traditions I happened to be reading about, and Bill said this. He was quoting a philosopher. I didn't know it at the time. Um, the good may be the enemy of the best. Yeah. And uh, I, I said, oh, it, it caught my attention because I didn't understand it, but then I allowed it to sort of steep in me like a tea bag. The good maybe what did Bill really mean? Maybe the enemy of the best. And and in the context of the way he said it, and in the way I thought about it, and I'm now newly retired with all this new time and freedom on my hand, I'm really good at a lot of things. To the extent I'm doing a lot of things, I'm not doing the one or two things that appear to be my destiny, appear to be my absolute bullseye competency. And so I made a, a list of all of my activities and I order ranked them, I'm a very, very analytical person, uh, giving them an arbitrary relative scale of one through five, one being the absolute bullseye, my destiny, if you will, uh, in all humility, and uh, five being sort of really good things like a board thing and or a whatever activity it was that was really good and helpful. And I'm very competent in doing it, but it wasn't number one. And I made a decision in prayer to eliminate everything that wasn't a one. It took me three, three months to disengage, to resign, to change, to advise, whatever it was, to eliminate. And the sense of freedom I had at the end of that three months focusing on what was the best. Now, the best for me at that time was the step work and the sponsorship and the step guide that I do, because I was up to my eyeballs in it. One of the reasons I retired was to do that more, and I could do that, my opportunity. But but then it was so freeing. You asked the question. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to tell you how the watch was built. Please. <laughs> the uh, It was so effective 15, 16 years ago that every October I do the same thing with what I'm doing now. I take the bullseye and I put it under a microscope and I rank order my activities one through five. And now, and you asked the question, because of Dr. Alan Berger and our focus in emotional sobriety, the way of life, 10, 11, and 12, emotional sobriety has become the bullseye. Uh, with even the bullseye even more focused than that on, uh, as Alan mentioned, step 11. You may or may not know, Dr. Berger introduced me to Hazleton when they asked for somebody to write a book on meditation five years ago. And I wrote that book, which gave me a lot more focus on, even, even in 10, 11, and 12, my focus is on step 11. Because with the consciousness, and that's how Alan started out even today, right now, to improve, he used a, a different term, I hadn't heard him use it before, expand, to expand our consciousness. And I'm just recently, this year, thinking about Bill's use of the word enlarge. Yeah. On page 14, he talks about 
why Jim, the car salesman who put a little whiskey in his milk relapsed. Oh, there's lots of indications in the story, page 35 to 37 in the big book. There's lots of indication as to why he may have, but there's one statement that tells it all. He said he failed to enlarge his spiritual life, enlarge his spiritual life. Wow. I know. And on page 14, he tells us what he means by that in his own story. We perfect and enlarge our spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. So Jim wasn't, he had an awakening. He got his life back. He got his wife back. He got his job back. Everything is going swimmingly and he relapsed because he wasn't helping other people. So for me, that's the, now the point of focus is to improve the light in me through consciousness and to expand, enlarge the lantern that is me so mm -hmm. that the light can be bigger and brighter and shine more effectively on the path that I walk so that others can walk that path and have their own experience. I said, you press my button. <laughs> Wonderful. I can sense that imperative with you, you yeah. know, that like, um, because there's times and we've talked and, I, and I've told you before, I found you a little bit intimidating. And uh, and I think that sometimes what I have interpreted as a briskness in the past is you, that pairing away of even like, you know, just casual experiences. You know what I mean? You're really trying to get to the locus point of like what what what's being communicated here and who am I communicating with? And especially if we're talking recovery, you know what I mean? Like what direction are we actually headed in? And um you know, as somebody who has gotten a life back and it's something I'm really working on and I'm struggling to comprehend a lot of the time, but I need to have a direction and I need to be pursuing, pursuing and continued recovery with like a real sense of uh, urgency um, or else uh, who knows what might happen. I, mean, well, I, have a, I have a sense of what might happen. And it's not good. But, but emotional sobriety, and I'm going to invite Dr. Allen to talk about this because the emotional sobriety is about yes that's true but finding balance in that because i have a tendency and alan knows the, the 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 phrase in the in the in the rooms is easy does it that's not my mantra heavy does it heavy does it that's my mantra i was attracted to alan he's the marine heavy does it take the goddamn hill you know no prisoners and, and we have we have taken that hill i mean <laughs> my god we've well, taken somebody uh, maybe it was us but somebody said oh you guys are the monk and the marine the marine and the monk and we have the same haircut to to show it <laughs> and, well, and and the know, intimidation go ahead i mean you know, look at it it's 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 we may not be the best exa examples i mean you are because of your mindfulness now and and your rank ordering things and that the practice that you've plugged in you have more balance than I've ever seen you have before in your life. And 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 this yeah. what 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 Patrick rep, uh, referred to is a, is evidence of that. I'm modeling that by cutting back my schedule so that I can be more balanced. Yeah. Oh, and then enjoy your life. You're enjoying your life right now. That's right. You are living your life. Yeah. You know? yeah. And you are living it fully. And you were and not that you weren't before, but now you've created space outside yeah. of the program to yeah. enjoy the incredible family that you've yeah. cultivated over the years, yeah. friendships, you know, I mean, just you're smelling the roses. I mean, it's it's 
I'm introducing some fun in my life, and it comes at a time where we're coming out of COVID, thawing out from that. People have more time. I'm going to give myself more time so that, in fact, I mean, I'm 84 this year. And there's not a lot of time on the other side of that. So it's not about me finding pleasure and or just self-absorption and narcissism. We know that the yellow flag's always up with me, but uh, caution, 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 slow down. But that's not what it's about. It's about the, and I'll, I'll use the word, and uh, Dr. Berger has helped me understand what the word means, and that's balance. Yeah, balance. And, my two, and my two daughters have helped me too. They're kind of like guardrails and guidelines. They are, they're the very good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not only balance, but the other word for you is the value of relationships. <laughs> I mean, you have really, because you because that self-reliance has has been, you know, um, transformed into, right, into, you know, who you are today, which is, yeah, you still have some of that, but you've, right. you're so much more than that today. Right. Right. And, and it's just opened up all possibilities for you. I mean, that's what I've seen. And I think yeah. it's just been an, an amazing transformation. And look, I think as, as we know, Herb, is even the stuff we teach transforms us. It's 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 so true. Is we're just steeped in it. I mean, and it's 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 soaked up in in my pores. I mean, all the time. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the work that we do to help other people, which has come out from a professional development or from could have been my in my case an ego motivation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had corrupt motives. All right, not not totally, but certainly could could have been very corrupt. But because of the authenticity of the work, all right, the corruption was modified and diminished so that, in fact, my intention of actually helping other people becomes dominant and primary. And, and, and you hear the in the meetings, you, you, when you give it away, you keep it. And it sounds cute and poetry. No, it's fabulous wisdom that when I'm doing my workshops or helping other people, there is something that happens in me. Conceptually, I learn more, but there's something that's very immaterial and very mysterious. I become a better person. Yes, that's right. Yeah. What you said about the motives. Um, I One of the most redemptive things about these recovery programs and 12 steps, it's um, that if we move our feet in a certain direction or and if we take direction, right? then that will be a way of uh, kind of re restoring whatever those motives may be, you know, the uh, self-seeking and whatnot, you know what I mean? Um, is I something do. that, yeah, 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 yeah. It's something more, that more we than can- than I care to discuss. <laughs> right. My sponsor told me recently um, to continue taking calls from an addict who's uh, been suffering a lot lately and he's been calling and texting me quite a bit. And um, I take him to meetings and we sit there and uh, he, he's still struggling. Uh, he's still drinking in between the meetings and using drugs. And um, I started to get really hopeless and worry that, you know, I don't even know if it's getting in. I don't know if I should cut this person off. And my sponsor said, well, when you talk to him, are you thinking about yourself? And I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> then keep doing it. And uh, and so I've continued doing it. And you know what? I, I don't tend to think about myself when I'm... Uh, working with this person. So I don't know, does that dovetail at all a bit with what we're talking about? I, I think the total summary of the purpose of the program dealing with 
human nature is captured in Bill said we're self-centered, the process turns us to be other-centered. That's, I mean, step 11 is about other with a capital O. Step 12 is about other with a small o, the community of humanity. I, I commit to turn in step three. I make an effort to turn steps four through nine and maintain in 10, but I am turned through a continuous practice of 11 and 12. And that's that alchemic process of willingness and grace. I mean, I need to show up. This man who took me through the steps when I was five years sober, and Alan's heard me quote this, it's so, it's so confrontational. He said, because I went to him and I said, I'm willing, but I really don't have time. And he just said to me, look me straight in the eye. No judgment. It wasn't a, a, a negative comment. He said, her willingness without action is fantasy. Woo! You talk about four by four. Willing, tell, don't tell me how willing you are. Show me how your feet are moving. So going back, Patrick, to what you said, action. And yet, and yet, those first five years, I took the action that my sponsor gave me, and I didn't know that he didn't know. Mm -hmm. And he gave me some great direction, but it was superficial, and I didn't change because he didn't know that change was possible. He didn't know that the process of change was the steps. He hadn't done the work out of the big book, and although he read the big book, he didn't really understand or experience it. And once I found a mechanic with the big book and the step process at five years of sobriety, the same guy that said about willingness and action, all right, I was able to take action that was effective, not just activity, meeting makers make it. I understand the spirit of it. It's just a lie. Meeting makers don't make it. People who do the steps and find God make it. Now, you might not need to do the steps to find God, but I did. Can I ask Alan? Um... This has been a extremely rough year for you, or you know, by year I don't mean twenty twenty four. I mean going back like several months. And um, how does it feel doing steps ten, eleven, and twelve while you're not? I'm assuming feeling too much pleasure in the doing of them. Like you're still doing the deal, but like it sucks. And like how is what has it been like to kind of show up for that? And what have you learned from that this past? My experience is not that it sucks. I don't feel like it sucks. <laughs> what what the experience I have, it's like it's a life preserver. Hmm. It's more that it's it's so necessary to have this foundation to be able to not just survive this incredible you know, experience of my life and my family's life being blown to smithereens, right? Um, so it's not just the survival part of it. It's 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 kind. It's also turned into being able to use this incredible, devastating experience and try to cultivate some emotional wisdom from it. You know, so that I don't end up bitter. I mean, if that doesn't happen, then I end up bitter. If I end up bitter. And set into self pity, yeah. you know, my drinking or my a relapse is just around the corner for me. Yeah. If I walk through this thing, I, you know, you know, I I had a choice point during this whole thing. Do I continue down this path and deal with the pain and that there was some not a lot of humiliation, but some humiliation involved. Um, um, thank God that that to me that there wasn't a lot of that was a real testimony to some of the work I've been doing. I mean, 
because before it would have been very much a reflection of my ego, right? And now it didn't go into that as it went into that a bit, but not nearly. If 20, 30 years ago, it would have been all about that, I think, in many different ways. But but that's how I would describe it, Patrick. It's more, first of all, it was like, my God, I need a lifesaver or a life preserver and to save my life, because that's what it really was. I mean, I was that down and out and devastated. You saw me, man. I, I couldn't stop crying. Yeah. You know, when I would talk to you guys, I would just be weepy all the time. I mean, I was that shattered and, you know, that that broken, I mean, yeah. in so many ways. And, you know, your love, Herb, you've given me a bunch of support and love through this. Tom Rutledge, Tom Potash, Roger. I mean, our our community has reached out. I mean, my God, you know, the love that was sent my direction and personal support was just incredibly important for me to get through this thing. Um, so that's how I would describe it. It wasn't that, it, it was more of, it felt like such a, a, a gift that I had this available. Because before I would have just been drowning and there would have been no life preserver to get a hold of. I would just be going under over and over and over and wishing something would show up, but not having any idea where to even reach for it. Does it's, that make sense when I describe it that oh, way? It's 100% the image I have came out of my corporate experience in, in sort of a, a training thing. And they talked about life is like a river and we're in a canoe and it's flowing and it's wonderful and the day is balmy and we're just paddling and then we hit white water that's right and then our skills are challenged yeah. our tools are challenged to navigate and survive the white water right because on the other side of it eventually there's going to be calm water again and that's what you're talking about here you hit a very large amount and in fact the work that you've done, both teaching and also personal, in emotional sobriety, pre prepared you to acknowledge the, not only the frustration of the reality of it, but the impossibility of it. There was no negotiating. There was no changing. There was no control. There was acknowledging the reality, accepting the reality, adjusting to the reality, I call it the triple A of emotional <laughs> sobriety, all right, and 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 knowing. And, and, and you just mentioned it, but I want to reinforce it to the people who are listening. You had a sponsor, a sponsor of 52 probably years at this point that's helped you navigate your life in many ways. Maybe this is one of the more tumultuous times but be that as it may, you had a guide, you had a sounding board, you had a trusted companion. Then you had the community, several communities, and the friends, and even the clients. I had some misgivings about you being so vulnerable and sharing with your clients. I never told you that. But of course, that's who you are. Is you're going to be real and authentic in an appropriate way. What's so interesting with that is that 98% of the people I work with appreciated so much that they could give something back to me. And so, wow, of course. And, and there were a few people that didn't, that had turned them off and, and right. they didn't like it. 
but that's you know that's their prerogative i didn't expect everybody to respond no that's human nature human nature but but it was so interesting what the the how much of an outpouring of in in they would even say it you know you've given me so much let me let me let me be there for you right now yeah of course I mean, how about that see that's what a real relationship is about yeah. you know well, and you started uh, commenting uh, at the beginning about relationship, my focus on it. And it was originally a focus of relationship with a power other than myself. And that was brand new for me. I, I was a monk for seven years, seven years in a monastery, seven years of silence. Yeah. I mean, you would have thought that I'd had the total grip on that. No, I didn't. And I was 10 years sober before I actually got a relationship, a personal relationship. Well, I had begun repairing the other relationships with myself and with others along the way, because that's the nature of the step process, the potential promised outcome. But I didn't really understand relationship. And quite frankly, I wasn't that interested in relationship with people. <laughs> people are to be taught and tolerated and helped to change their lives <laughs> but relationship well, give me a break i don't have time for that and as a result of the work that we've done in emotional sobriety it's prepared i believe me to actually organically yearn for and be open to and vulnerable to relationships and take the risks that are necessary to have one Right on. Yeah. And look, you know, to me, we you know, go back to this thing about you were saying about that boy, you want to acknowledge that. That's one of the reasons why I came back to LA and brought all you guys to that. Uh, yeah. Both, right? The a Hard Day, Silent Night, because yeah. I wanted to share that with you guys that, mm -hmm. you know, a group of people I love and respect and mean a lot to me and have been there as kind of a thank you. And that night was magical. Yeah. It was a magical evening. Yeah. One of my favorite things you've said, Herb, it's, uh, and I'm going to butcher it, but it has to do with uh, those who, uh, you know, th those who are recovering have a practice and those with the practice practice that practice, right? Well, as um, my own spiritual director, I don't mean to cut you, but I do want to get it right. In terms yes, please. Of, no. <laughs> because it's it's poetic and it's, and it's a wonderful mantra, long mantra, but a wonderful one. All people on a spiritual path have a spiritual practice yeah. and they practice their practice and they're faithful to their practice. And when they're faithful to their practice, their practice is faithful to them. I mean, it couldn't be more illustrated in Dr. Berger's journey in this last 12 months, as you indicated, does that, you were going to say more though. No, I mean, I, I just wanted to come clean to you guys that like my um, steps 10, 11 and 12, my way of life is at this point rather incoherent and <laughs> informal. <laughs> and um, when you were telling me about um, that three month process you had of really honing in on what are the, what are the callings that you have or the things that you are best at? Like what's the number one? Well, Herb answers that. Let me give you some feedback, Patrick, because sure. see, you have a tendency of minimizing what you're doing. Because you you have a way of life, and and I see you. Here living. comes the marine. <laughs> I mean, it's it's you know you reach out when you're in trouble, you talk about it, 
you're handling situations very differently than you've handled them before in the past. I mean, so I, I you know, it's kind of like what people say to people that have been taking Prozac and the person that's taking it doesn't realize they're changing. And then all of a sudden the people around them see them as less depressed and they're the last one to realize it. Yeah. And I think that's true for us in recovery. Sometimes we're the last ones to see the transformation taking place. Mm -hmm. Because our relationship with ourselves doesn't seem to be different. You know, Dr. Rader gave a great example. You'd appreciate this, Herb. And he gave the example about the disease of alcoholism, but we can also apply it to the process of recovery. He says, imagine that, that you have this jacket that you wear every day, a suit jacket, and you go to work every day and you get up and you put it on. And while you're sleeping, somebody sneaks in the bedroom and each day they sew in the lining of that jacket one ounce of lead. Mm. Just one ounce. You put the jacket on the next day, it's just an ounce. Your body can't feel the difference. In fact, your body starts to habituate to it. As you wear the jacket through the day, it feels like it felt the day before. Second day, there's two ounces of lead in your jacket. Same thing happens. Your body put it on, you wear it for a while. It feels like the same old jacket. You don't notice that your jacket is changing because you're habituating to it, right? That's what we do. That's how we are wired to habituate to, to stimuli. And we have to, it's economical, right? You can't be reacting to the new things all the time or else you'd be overwhelmed. But imagine that goes on for a year. How much does that jacket weigh? What happens in recovery? In recovery, somebody sneaks in your room and removes an ounce of lead from your jacket yeah, every right, day. Right. You don't even realize that, my God, it's not as heavy as it was. At some point you do, Herb realizes it in his life. You know, I realize that at moments in my life that that jacket feels very different than what it felt before. But you can't be aware of it when you're at a certain stage in your recovery like you can later on, I think. Does that make sense to you? A hundred percent. And you were asking Patrick, so I'm going to let Patrick respond to you, but then I want to respond, Patrick. I'm just, and maybe it's it's um, a function of what you said that like I'm uh, quite a bit earlier in my recovery, but I'm not aware of really what's uh, what's happening or how well I'm doing. I don't that's have that awareness. Cool. That that's correct, and that's where you need a mirror, companion, sponsor, step guide, therapist, whatever you call it, to be able to give you some feedback. Uh, not to acknowledge and, and validate you, although part of that's healthy, but um, I could not see that I was actually changing until I paused down the road, looked back over my shoulder, and I go, oh, my behavior has changed. Oh, my attitude has changed. Oh, my reaction has changed. Right. It was a surprise. Well, I hope when I'm surprised that it's a pleasant one. Well, be prepared to be surprised, and sometimes it's not. Bill says it in the step 10, which I think is the primary tool of emotional sobriety. He said, it's a spiritual axiom. When we're disturbed, there's something amiss with us. So he says in the big book, watch for being disturbed. Watch for the signals, resentment and fear and dishonesty and, all, and uh, selfishness. Watch for these signals and i think in terms of the uh car when you're run you're right drive and the yellow flashing light on the dashboard 
That's not incidental. It's telling you, you're out of water. Your battery's low. Your tires are flat. Whatever. There's a warning there. Some yeah. of it's severe and some of it's not. But if yeah. you don't pay attention to the warning, you're going to be long-term in trouble. And look, and sometimes, you know, those around you are going to see the warning light before you do. And they're well, also going to see that the light's off before you do. I mean, see, it's <laughs> you might still say, God, that light's on. When is that light going off? And we'll say, hey, you're looking at it through the wrong angle. If you look over here, light's off. I mean. Well, what I love about the work that I do with you is that, um, or both you guys, is that um, I'm always being directed towards like what it is about, what is it about my actions and what is it about like the paradigm through which I'm looking at the events of life that could use some work, that could use some adjusting. It's not, um, I'm not going through life with an expectation that uh, the seas part for me, you know, and that is helpful because I always have something to do. There's always something about me that uh, could be, if not better addressed than just massaged a little bit to, um, yeah, make for a more meaningful experience. The image I use for that is several parts of it. Um, it's such a human and pandemic experience, what you just experienced. And, and that is the dimmer switch. Yep. All right. We press the dimmer switch and it goes on at a very low voltage and therefore there's very little light. But if we stay connected to the dimmer switch, let's assume it's an oval, and we turn it up just a little bit, there's a little bit more light, there's a little daily work, action, direction, action, frustration, mistake, correction, daily, all right? And the dimmer switch goes up so significant, so, so subtly that it's not significant to us, and, and Alan just made the point with the ounce of lead, all right? And, and yet, the accumulated the accumulation of the energy of the electricity in the circuit begins to uh, finally the accumulated energy gives us enough light that we can see that we didn't see yeah, yeah. and then we can see that we do see and mm -hmm. that's the dynamic process of change it's and bill says it in appendix 2 the in the uh, big book um, a spiritual awakening, educational variety. That's my and I and I and and I in my workshops, I'm very aware now that there's a large percentage of people that are driven consciously or unconsciously by a need for perfection. And I try to defuse that because it it's it's a delusion and it's not reality. There is nothing perfect about material reality. It is always going to disintegrate. It's always going to change. And so I tell people, if you're reasonably willing and well-intentioned and gently pressed up against it, it'll be about your, your intention, all right? And whatever you do, I'm serious, inconsistent, lack of diligence, procrastination, what if you show up periodically with an intention of doing something, if you kind of gently and or somewhat even dishonestly hold yourself accountable somewhat, and you kind of like, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so like not effective, but you show up and you do it, you make an effort to improve it just a little bit, but it's so awkward, it's so, it's so not effective, you're going to change. Whatever you do in the, in the, in the environment of willingness and, and, and some haphazard good intention, 
will catapult you. Bill calls it a rocketed into the fourth dimension. And I'm not exaggerating because I've been doing my workshops for 25 years. I've seen it. People who have impossible situations. You talk about the guy who couldn't get sober. Yeah, you don't fire him. It's just not your job. What is your job? To be the lantern, to shine the light on the path so that they can potentially walk the path, but don't get invested in their recovery because the majority of people don't make it. What a great discussion, Herb. We got to keep this on. Let's let. Why don't we continue this? Are you free next week again? Let's. Oh, I, I'd have to look at my calendar. I want to be. All right. All right. So let's figure that out. If not next week, the week after that, let's continue. All right. Great meeting tonight. I was going to call yeah. it a meeting. It's like we had our own AA meeting. We did. we did. And uh, just a couple things. You know, thank you for being so hospitable to, uh, you know, my uh, kind of stumbling in the dark with these questions. And um, I felt very seen just now now and i felt very comforted to hear you walk through that process of just kind of a committed showing up um but like a complete loosening of like this grip we have on like imagine perfection because yeah it's my process has been very haphazard but uh it has been committed so well i actually wasn't speaking directly to you but you might as well have been yeah (laughs) and and because it's pandemic what you're experiencing is not unique Thank you, Herb. Until next time. Thanks, everybody. Alan, always a pleasure. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you